Maybe don't know. Maybe don't. This time, 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 What's up, everybody? I am your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to episode 188 of the Power Company podcast brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. We are only a week into 2021. And if you thought that the turning of a calendar page was going to change things, you were sorely mistaken. The attempted coup on the U.S. government just a couple of days ago, at first made me angry. And now I'm feeling a little more hopeful, hopeful that it opened people's eyes to the severity of the situation that this country is facing, as well as how we got here, how significant a role that the hatred and the turning of a blind eye has played in us getting to this moment. So if you were surprised by this situation, maybe spend some time thinking about how we got here and how you and I and all of us contributed. For me, this situation just strengthened my resolve that 2021 is just the first step in pushing harder toward the better world that I wanna live in. And Part of that is bringing you this podcast, bringing you the experiences of other people, the ideas of other people, and helping to form a more complete picture of who this community is and who we want it to be. Today's guest is someone I admire in this community. Uh, I first met Taylor Fragamini in Bozeman, Montana, where she was the head setter and youth coach at Spire. And I, I really enjoyed seeing her interact with that community as well as being a leader in that community. And honestly, it's tough to do both. Um, she does it really well. She has since left Spire and is now setting at Contact Climbing in St. George, Utah. New gym opening there. And she has started her own coaching business, Holistic Climber. And we sat down in Lander at my house while Taylor was on her way from Bozeman to St. George to talk about her experience as a female in the route setting industry, as well as the lessons that she's carried over from being a great route setter, route setter, however you say that, I go back and forth, to becoming a coach. So let's get into it. In doing that, you're like betraying yourself, which undermines trust that you have for yourself, which is gonna undermine the confidence that you have. That makes it harder to take the steps that you need to take. Hearing people's little like little secrets. 
secrets that they, or the <laughs> lives they used to lead before yeah. they got all consumed by climbing. And yeah, that's a, that's my go-to one to pull out because like no one knows that really. <laughs> now everybody's gonna. Now know they'll that. know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How did you get into setting? Um. So I started out at the university gym. I was a pretty new climber actually still at that point. Uh, I was just there a lot my freshman year. I lived on campus and I didn't have a car or a bike or anything. So I basically would go to class and go to the little tiny bouldering wall and hang out. And Was it the typical university gym that's like just a little horseshoe shape? Yeah. You know, weird angles. And, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, it was like in a old racquetball court. So it was really tiny. Lots yeah. of like weird angles on the wall lots of features mm-hmm. um yeah so I just kind of got to know some of the setters that were there and then the next year when I was a sophomore at the beginning of the year I like started route setting in a few days a week and that was kind of the beginning of it was setting something that you were like I want to do this or was it out of necessity because it was a university gym and there weren't good boulders or routes um I I would say it was more something that I wanted to do um I also think I got pulled into it a little bit I it was partly circumstance of like oh we need a female setter and you're here all the time and we need a female setter yeah (laughs) that's an that's a thing I don't hear very often um and again I'm I'm going all the way back to like the 90s when I was in commercial yeah. gyms a lot. But why did they feel like they needed a female setter? Um, and I'm not saying I disagree. I'm just, oh, yeah, no. It's just a thing I don't hear very often. I'm, you know, I've never really asked why, I guess. Um, I think it's important to have a more diverse setting team and – so often that's like the first place that people go is like, oh, let's just bring a girl onto the squad. Hmm. Um, and I think like part of it a lot of the time, oddly, is like height too. It's like, oh, we need someone who's shorter. Oh, sure. And it's like, okay, well. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't really know. I wish I had like asked. What was the setting team like there? I don't um, even think of university gyms as having setting teams, but yeah, again, that's me going back to the 90s when I know, like everybody set at the gym. Think about know? it like that because it was like that was like eight years ago. Um, it was just you know a handful of college dudes, and everyone was like six feet tall. And oh <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> um, what was that experience yeah. like? Like the first first days, first months, first year, whatever, with the six-foot-tall college dude setter team? Um, gosh, it was, it was fine. I mean, it, it's kind of funny because I think a lot of the things that I've come to notice about being female in the industry, I maybe didn't realize were happening at first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's it was kind of funny setting at the university gym because there wasn't a ton of structure to it. It was kind of like, oh, go set when you want to. Like, there wasn't loads of mentorship. Um, and then when I started setting at 
the commercial gym in Bozeman that was probably like that stands out more in my head I guess because I came onto this team of like everyone was way stronger than me Mm. like it was super intimidating I was probably climbing like 511 and like v4 at the time <laughs> were you still the only female setter oh on yeah the team? and that was a similar situation so I, got... I know you had a couple in bozeman at some point right? mm-hmm. yeah yeah so i came into that team via someone that sat there that had come to help set for our university comp that we had and he I don't, I don't think it was, again, not just because I was female, but um, he was like, oh, like, this gym really needs a female setter and, like, you're, you've got potential kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so he kind of got me in the door a little bit there. Um, yeah, I came on to that team. And <laughs> it, it was just, yeah, super intimidating. Uh I was so scared to like talk to any of the guys that yeah. worked there. <laughs> it wasn't exactly like a really welcoming environment. Mm. It's funny now because like some of the, a couple of the guys that were on the team when I first came on, I still work with and they're like mm-hmm. some of my closest friends. Sure. You know, <laughs> and I think those situations are like, not only does it feel awkward for you coming in and can feel unwelcome but then the people who are already there if they've never built the skills of like creating a team environment it's it can be awkward for them Mm -hmm, and they can feel like i don't know if i should say anything or you know it's 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 a weird situation for everybody when someone new gets put into the group yeah you know so it's it's interesting to think about how that can affect different people's mindset based on their situation, uh-huh. you know, but I'm glad it did become a, a welcome environment and those people yeah. became friends. Yeah. I think it, it took a long time. I mean, I, um, and our team has changed a lot. And when I first came onto the team there, it wasn't like a super professional environment in the sense that like we had setting shifts where everyone came in and sure. Um, like we were getting paid per route and I don't even know like what I was getting paid for mm-hmm. the first couple of years that I was setting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, was it the intimidation? How did that begin to dissipate? Was it just becoming friends with the people? Was it becoming a better setter? Was it becoming a stronger climber? Like what, where did the intimidation come from do you think and how long did it take for it to start disappearing oh so i think we're all intimidated at new jobs new things oh yeah you know for sure um gosh that's such a hard question to answer i big question yeah (laughs) um i think building those personal relationships definitely helped Mm -hmm. um Hmm. When did it start to dissipate? Maybe I would say, let's see, I've been studying for eight years. Maybe it started to dissipate for me in the last 
three years, I would say. Wow, even. really? Well, so there's all these really like subtle things, right? Where it's not just like we're we're all indoctrinated into the same like kind of patriarchal absolutely system. Yeah. So I can't even fault like any of the things that have happened necessarily to people because it's like. Yeah, it makes sense that like you would say things like that and we all say things that are harmful or mm-hmm. unwelcoming a lot of the time. Like I have a lot of stories of things just kind of happening and being like, well, this would literally not happen if I was male. Um, Can we hear some of those? Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, Is that, and I, and I want to be clear, like I'm not above that myself. Like I'm, I'm indoctrinated into the same yeah. system and trying to understand that system better so that I can step outside of it more often. Yeah. You know, whether it's patriarchy, racism, all of the things, it's it's all inherent in me and in everybody else. Yeah, for know, sure. So. And I think it's worth adding even that, like, being female doesn't... Um, exclude you from having sexist viewpoints either like absolutely i think really frequently um as women you're like we're conditioned to see each other as competition sure if you're in a male dominated field like there's this feeling that there's only one seat at the table right and that can create kind of a weird situation too because like we want you know women to be empowering other women Mm -hmm. to step into this field but then like dealing with that conditioning is kind of weird too. Um, I think <laughs> I think the story I would start with, I guess, is like I went to CWA a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And you know how those things work. There's a lot of networking. You chat to a lot of people. There's always this conversation of like, oh, what do you do at your gym? Yeah. There's um, a lot of white dudes. A lot of, yeah. <laughs> um, and I remember one night, well, this happened like throughout the whole event, but one night we were all at, I think it was a scent studio. Um, it was like a whole event. Lots of people were there oh, climbing yeah. from CWA. I was probably there. You might've been there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and at this point, I think I had been the head setter for like a year or so at uh, Spire. Um, I, you know, there'd be that question of like, oh, what do you do at the gym? And say, oh, like I'm, I'm the head setter. And, 90% of the time, the next question was, oh, well, how big is the gym? Really? Yeah. And I would like kind of just pause for a second and be like, "Uh, it's bigger than the one we're standing in right now. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and that wasn't that wasn't like the only reaction I got. Um, There was one guy in particular, I remember that from Alaska, I think, that was like, man, that's like so cool. I, like makes me really sick to see more females like in leadership roles in the setting industry. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> it was just kind of weird. And that was, that was maybe the time that I started to kind of notice. Um, or, and it's not that I never like felt the, the like negativity that can kind of come over all these little weird statements such as that, that yeah. like seems so. It kind of permeates everything, whether yeah. they want it to or not. It seems yeah. really benign on the surface, but then it does like have this effect on you, whether yeah. you realize it or not. And I think 
I'm only now coming into like having the words to describe what it is. Like, I don't know if you remember, but years ago when you were at Spire for Coaching Clinic mm -hmm. at the at like end after you were done with your interview with Kelsey, you asked mm -hmm. me like, why don't you think there's more women in the setting industry? And I was like, God, that's such like a good question. Like, why aren't there? And yeah. I've have thought about that moment so many times over the last few years of like, how do I answer that question? Because like, we know it's not happening. Um, and it's still not, there's still not a lot of like, it's getting better, I think. But yeah. And I, th you know, I think there's this weird, um, sort of, pigeonholing that happens. I mean, we know there is mm -hmm. with like boys play with tools and trucks and girls play with dolls, you know, mm -hmm. that's built into our, our lives when we're little kids, you know, and, and that it sort of seems like an extension of that. Like, yeah. Oh, I'm a boy. I'm supposed to pick up the drill and the yeah. wrenches and, you know, put holds on the wall that's my role here in the gym <laughs> yeah you know and and I wonder how much of that is just sticking with us and we're having a hard time shaking it whether it's whether it's the the men or the women who are in the gyms you mm -hmm. know? do do the women have a hard time shaking the oh the boys play with the tools not me yeah you know I'm sure, and that just reminded me, like, this is something that happened a lot for a while for some reason at the gym, but I would be, like, up on a ladder on the bouldering wall setting, and, like, some random dude would be like, oh, can I, like, hold your ladder for me? And I'm like, stop, stop, stop. Like, do not step <laughs> near the ladder. <laughs> You're going to make me fall off of it. Up on the I'm pads. fine. Yeah. <laughs> And or like, oh, do you want help carrying that ladder and stuff like that? It's like, oh, it's such a like well-intentioned comment, but yeah. it's still just like that's like it never happened to any of our male setters, right. and so it was it was kind of funny, and we just kind of joked about it for a while, but um, we still joke about it every once in a while. <laughs> it's so interesting. I I hadn't thought about this until having this conversation, but just. Last week, I listened to a couple of episodes of Kasha's podcast mm -hmm. about setting, um, Route Setting Exposed, I think it's called. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and I listened to this episode that was Kasha and two other setters, and it didn't occur to me until right now that it was two women, one man, and and that's such a an oddity in the setting world to mm -hmm. to have that ratio yeah of people talking you know and yeah, all even setting yeah and yeah. all extremely knowledgeable everybody on the same level mm -hmm. you know was just that's a cool moment to realize oh i didn't even realize that yeah. this was you know it feels like progress in my head yeah like oh i didn't even realize it was <laughs> bias toward women in that conversation and that's great that's cool yeah i can count on like one hand the number of setting days i've had where there's been 
equal or more women than men there setting and that includes i assume like comps traveling to things with other setter teams or whatever yeah Yeah. for sure um yeah it's so it's so weird and i like i have thought about this a lot um i think a lot of the time when those little like covertly sexist things happen you don't want to like speak up and say anything about it because usually like no one's gonna back you up Mm -hmm. you're gonna get labeled as being overly reactive or overly emotional and it usually isn't gonna like make things better Mm -hmm. i think that is starting to shift now a little bit um but it's it's so weird because i think in that sense um your option is to either like make waves and not necessarily cause conflict, but like call it to attention. Right. Um, and, or you can like ride the waves and be like, well, I'm just going to not say anything and like let it roll off my back and whatever. If it rolls off your back. If it does. But that's the tough thing. Like, that's the thing. Is are that you just it holding it really... in and getting more yeah. and more upset by it all? Exactly. So I think making that, decision to kind of just roll with it i i think i did that for just so many years but in doing Mm -hmm. that you're like kind of betraying yourself a little bit which kind of undermines trust that you have for yourself which is going to undermine the confidence that you have and then i think that makes it a lot harder to maybe take the steps that you need to take to be successful and be confident and what you're doing and be a professional and not have to be like just fighting to be there. And that's a, that's like an exhausting thing to do. Yeah. And I mean, I have like, I have so much privilege. Like the, the only thing I have going against me is that I am female. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, So I can only imagine like, like I deal with like level one bullshit, but like if I was right. like a woman of color, for instance, trying to be in the setting industry, like I can't even imagine what right. whole new level that would look like. Bullshit yeah. that you have to deal with. Yeah, like if it's a if it's a spectrum of bullshit, I'm only at the bottom of that spectrum. But I think that is honestly like a big reason that there's not more diversity in setting is because you. There's so much more friction, right, for people who aren't white males to, like, be in that industry. Yeah. Um, Have you started speaking up? I I think, like, yeah, I have (laughs) in those little instances. Like, I remember a couple years ago for uh, our rope comp, this one of the members of the gym who I actually used to set with uh, years ago, he made a comment. I had like put the, you know, the main dish hold. It's like a small feature on today's standards, like an e-grips feature. Okay. But yeah, it's like, it's a small feature. Mm-hmm. I I had put it like up at the top of this route, which I set top down. So that's like 
it's actually easier to put big features at the top of the wall. Sure. Putting them in the middle is worse. Um, but he said to me like, oh, I'm impressed that you like hold that hold all the way up there. And I just kind of looked at him and I was like, why is it because of my weak little girl arms? And he was like, oh, no, no, that's, I wasn't saying that. And I was like, are you sure? Yeah, <laughs> what sure were you saying? Exactly saying? Then. <laughs> uh, so I, I like to, now I just kind of like give a look and I'm like, why? Mm-hmm. Why'd you say that? Um, do you feel like the setting team around you or the people you're pushing back a little toward are receptive of it and trying to change their like bias? I think so, yeah. And I think it was definitely worse when I was newer to setting, like in that first half of my experience where sure. I think a lot of the time I was treated like I was only had the opportunity to be there because I was female, but mm-hmm. I'm actually like a really good setter. <laughs> it's not just because <clears throat> they wanted to have their diverse team or whatever. Um, and what's well, kind of a double whammy in the beginning, right? You're mm-hmm. the, you're the new person and you're yeah. female. Yeah. So you're dealing with two levels of it. Yeah. That, you know, and whereas, the weakest climber, which is like a whole other. Yeah. That's a whole nother thing level. Yeah. Which honestly, like in, in the process of forerunning and like coming up with grade consensuses and stuff like that, like the weaker climber has like should have more input, I think. Mm. When when the five thirteen plus climbers are like, Oh yeah, that's for sure eleven and like the twelve minus climber is like, No, like it's this grade probably, like that person's probably more accurate. Yeah. I that, think <laughs> that's certainly true. Um you know, I've said for yeah. years that if you like if you want to try a route, if you want to try to flash something, don't ask the person who's climbing three grades higher. Yeah, so you true. Know, ask the person yeah. who has to struggle a little bit at that <laughs> yeah. grade because they're gonna know it way better. Absolutely. Yeah, and <laughs> oh man, there's so many just little stories. Um Well, we need all the stories, so a lot of a lot of these instances have not been with the setters that I've worked with for years. Like sure. I've, I've been at the same gym this whole time. Um, it's more often going like out of that realm and people just assuming that I'm inexperienced. Mm-hmm. Um, like for example, we set a bouldering regionals a couple of years ago now. Um, the USAC setter that came in to run it i think it was his first one that he was running um but i have like coached in this region for years and i have watched all of these climbers for years and i remember we were like for running the stack of female b boulders and i know i said like multiple times these boulders are too hard like yes we have a national champion in our region she might top them, but, like, everyone else isn't going to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, I might as well just not have even been talking. Mm. Like, it wasn't even acknowledged. Yeah. Um, and sure enough, <laughs> there was, like, at least five to ten B-girls that got zero points. Yeah. Which is <clears throat> not good. That is, like, a bad set to mm-hmm. just go to regionals and not get any zones at all. 
Yeah. You know, that, that brings up an interesting point that like shouldn't have to happen. And that's that on your setting team, you've proven yourself. Mm-hmm. And then even though you're a coach who's been seen in the region for years, you go to this other place and you haven't, air quotes here, proven yourself mm-hmm. as a setter in that regard. You yeah. Know? And you shouldn't have to. But I think the fact that you're a female in this male-dominated setting says that, okay, you have to prove yourself before we trust what you say. Yeah, it's almost like you're held to a higher standard. Yeah. Um, which is just kind of fucked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, and I want to, you know, I want to, preface this with like we're not trying to bash anyone necessarily no <clears throat> like we all. said at the beginning we 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 all have these built-in yeah, for sure biases that we're dealing with and you may be a raging fucking sexist and if you are you know that and the people around you know that and, mm-hmm. and you're gonna have to deal with that on your own but but most of us are just this is built into us and it totally we're is. trying to learn yeah. how to escape it yeah Absolutely. Yeah, like I said, I like can't even fault anyone for those little things. I fault people all the time. So. <laughs> I throw fault around probably too often. <laughs> yeah, it's well, it's funny. I think like it first you have to like know to question the conditioning and then you have to choose to question it. Mhm. And if you don't choose to question it, after knowing that you should question it, then I'll fault you. But yeah. <laughs> but before that, I guess, I'd give a little bit of leeway. Yeah, and that's why I asked if your route team was like accepting of the pushback and, yeah. and trying to change it. I'd, I'd like to believe that we're making it more, more common to have these conversations and to get uncomfortable and to be vulnerable and to say oh yeah you're right i i screwed that up yeah you know but but i'm also stuck in my little world where i'm i'm trying really hard to do that and even even though i'm doing it on a microphone that doesn't mean that everyone else is trying to do the same thing i'd love to believe that um and i hope it's happening to some degree i think it is it it feels like it is and I mean, I can only provide my perspective and my experience, I guess. And there's so much variation, I think, um, between setting teams and across the industry as a whole. Um, Yeah, but I do have like a lot of hope and faith that it is like improving. At least that's what I've seen. And maybe part of it is just that I like don't, care as much now if people like have an issue with me speaking up about it mm-hmm. <laughs> now i'm kind of like well you know that's your problem if have you ever set in any of the environments that are mostly female setters like the she sets and no i have like that no not at all i'd love to i think it'd be really cool yeah um that's awesome that that stuff is happening now just in the last few years right those have started yeah i think so 
and you're you're moving to a new gym. Yeah. That will have another female mm-hmm. on the setting team, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and I've already had some really awesome conversations with the headsetter there, and I, it sounds like it's going to be like a really welcoming, like inclusive mm-hmm. environment, which I'm really excited about. Um, not that like the team I'm on right now isn't, because it is. Sure. Um, but when I first came into it, it was definitely like a boys' club. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think all setting. Yeah. Was a boys' club. Yeah. At some point, you know, and it's gradually for sure been changing. Yeah, and I I can remember even like there were lots of you know like inappropriate jokes that were made sure. and like just what I guess you would characterize as like locker room talk. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've seen some women. This is this is something else I find interesting that you were talking about, like having to sort of let it roll off your back. Um, I know a lot of women who engage in the locker room talk almost as a way to assimilate. Yeah, totally. And to fit in. And then I can see that it affects them. Mm-hmm. Like maybe when the other, when the guys who are doing the locker room talk aren't noticing that this is affecting this person negatively, mm-hmm. even though they're engaging in it. Yeah. You know, I've, I've seen that quite a few times in it. As somebody who chooses to be outspoken and push back often, I always have to kind of check myself and say, not everybody is willing to engage in conflict as often as I am, yeah. you know? And... And I understand that to some degree, but I have to check myself because I'm like, well, if this is bothering this person, why don't they just, you know, put yeah. it in that dude's face? That Yeah, I think it's like there's this element of exhaustion, right? Where it's sure. like, oh, you had to call out like everything that happens that makes you uncomfortable. Fuck, that's a really then good point. That's I, like, that's exhausting. I have the choice to engage in the conflict. It, yeah, I think it... Like, I, I step in of my own accord. It's not brought to me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah, I think um, I think for it to really change, like, what needs to happen, what I would love to see happen is to have, like, these sexist instances happen and have, like, one of the male setters say something before, like, yeah. the female setter even, like, thinks about it. <laughs> yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. That would that would be, like, way better. <laughs> um. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a lot to have to like. I I a lot of the time will just choose to not say anything because I'm like, oh, I just don't feel like I want to exert the emotional energy to deal with this right now, and especially if it's someone that you're like not sure how they're gonna react, mm-hmm. um, which is gonna be the case if you're setting with a team that you don't normally set with, and you're like, oh, is this like a safe place for me to? call out that this thing is happening or is it just going to like make things worse? Right. Um, Right. And I can walk around the world, especially in climbing gyms. And I'm like, this is a safe space for me to say whatever I want. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's rare that I think, oh, maybe I shouldn't do that right now. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I I have carte blanche. I can just say whatever the fuck (laughs) I want to say now. (laughs) And, and you have to be, picky about it 
Yeah. And I think, I think now, like I said earlier, um, for me, letting a lot of it go, I wasn't really letting it go. Like Mm -hmm. it did definitely become this issue of me starting to not like trust myself because I just so frequently was like, I'll just like pretend like this is fine. Yeah. Um, and I, I've just gotten tired of doing that, I guess. Um, I don't want to be at this point in my career and be like questioning if I deserve to be there or like have enough experience or I'm good at my job. Mm -hmm. And I think if you, for me at least choosing that path of being like, oh, I'm just going to ignore this and like let it be was causing me to feel that way. And it still does sometimes. That's something that I'll probably have to like work on for ever. But sure. Um, yeah, I mean, it's going to affect your, not just your job and not just how you feel in the setting environment, but it's going to affect your relationship with climbing. Mm -hmm, You know, it's pretty common, I think, for people to really fall in love with climbing because it's this escape. It's this like time when you feel really independent you know, everything is, everything is up to you. Mm-hmm. You know, you make the mistakes, you have the successes. Yeah. You know, and it's all you. And that's a really empowering feeling. But then to start letting those things in and it, it almost ruins that empowerment for you. Mm-hmm. And people end up with this bad relationship with climbing. Yeah. Yeah. And I've I've definitely <laughs> gone through periods of climbing where I'm like, oh, this is just like, what am I doing? I'm not having fun. Yeah. Um. And I don't want to feel that way. <laughs> um, Are you so having learn- fun now? I am. Yeah. Like I learning to like speak up and use my voice and like be a little bit more confident has mm-hmm. definitely impacted my climbing in like an extremely positive way. Yeah. And plus you went bouldering yesterday and that's way more fun than sport climbing. So uh, I don't know. <laughs> it was pretty fun. It was pretty fun. I'm learning to enjoy it and embrace it. Um <laughs> Yeah, that was a good time. Yeah, it's I mean, I think things are are definitely looking up, I think. I'm trying to remain hopeful and not just be like, Ugh, everything's just so messed up. Why has all this stuff happened? Which I think is like a really natural response to have when you start to become more aware of all of these injustices that exist, whether they're like daily little comments or like huge things. Yeah. Um, I think it's so easy to feel that way. But I don't know. I have hope. I'm like so inspired by how much like I see people using their voices now and the authenticity and like vulnerability that I'm seeing. Mm. And that has definitely contributed to like me being able to use my voice as well. Um, Yeah. You know, I've been working on music recently with my friend Devin Dabney and one of the lines I wrote in this first song that we're releasing 
part of the line just says, went from hope to fear. And I was originally referencing just the campaign messages between, you know, the disparity between Obama to Trump. Mm-hmm. Like Obama's whole campaign was was based on hope. Mm-hmm. And Trump's whole campaign is based on fear, you know. But it also occurred to me that that's the that's the feeling we've all gotten. You know, we went from being super hopeful to being very fearful. Mm-hmm. And and acting, starting to act, more people are taking action because of that fear, which in turn gives me hope. Yeah. You know? And I think this community is no different. Like we we've seen it have some major moments in the last few years, whether mm-hmm. it's coming to grips with the fact that yes, you spraying beta at that woman climbing is you being sexist, mm-hmm. you know? And coming to grips with the fact that we all have racist tendencies and and that scared us all initially. Yeah. Like, oh, am I allowed to even talk to women in the gym anymore, you mm-hmm. know? And now we're starting to take action because of that fear. And that's leading to at least me and I think you and a lot of other people feeling more hopeful. Yeah. Yeah, I think without that hope too, it like it's kind of necessary, at least for me, to like hold on to that and be like, okay, like things are going to feel like they're getting worse for a while, but then they're going to probably get better. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just, I really value vulnerability and authenticity. And I think those things are so important. And I, I like seeing that more. Yeah, Um, me too. Me too. And I value it in everything I do. Same. Yeah. You know, it, if something feels fake to me, I just, push it aside mm-hmm. um whether that's a good trait or a bad trait i don't know but being really authentic and this is an interesting idea that we may just get stumped this may end the podcast right here <laughs> because we're both just like i don't know what to say now <laughs> but but there's a now that vulnerability is something that people are leaning into mm-hmm there's also an element of fake vulnerability out there yeah. that, I, that I think is dangerous. Mm-hmm. I know we're going off the rails here, but, <laughs> but but I'm seeing that more and more, like yeah. using vulnerability as a marketing tool or, or as a way to get attention mm-hmm. in a world where being vulnerable is really important. Yeah. Anyway. It's important and also trendy now. Yeah. 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 I I've thought about that a lot too recently, actually. Of like, is this for real? <clears throat> and it's so weird because it's like you don't want to be in the position of like questioning people's vulnerability. Exactly. Exactly. And you don't wanna not put your own out there because you're worried about being trendy. Yeah. And I I've definitely thought about that a lot like with starting my own coaching business and Mm -hmm. um 
I've battled a lot with this thought of like how much of like myself do I want to put out there as part of like what my business is like of my personal experiences and sure and I was like oh I don't really want it to be about me I don't want it to seem like I'm just sharing this stuff just to like get likes or whatever mm-hmm. um and that's part of what has like slowed me down and starting the whole thing and trying to decide what I want it to look like. But I kind of just spent a lot of time sitting with it and being like, well, if if it was just me, I'm like, I wasn't worried about how it's going to look or any of that. What feels like the most authentic thing to myself to do. Yeah. And that <laughs> that like authenticity and vulnerability is I think really important for me and that I like being able to like write out my thoughts and feelings on things and share it and I think there's a lot of power in sharing experiences and then having people absorb them and be like oh cool like I'm not alone in this totally yeah I think that's the biggest reason to share that stuff, to mm-hmm. make art that shares that, you know, yeah. whether that's writing, music, painting, visual art, whatever it is, mm-hmm. that's the biggest reason is so that people know they're not alone. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in that too, like, and even in sharing that and then hearing like, oh, thank you for sharing this. Like it makes me not feel as alone. Like that's, healing in a way too like okay like i'm also not alone in this totally Um, because none of us are really even though it feels like it yeah sometimes you know i think it's i think it's really cool that you're leaning into that as a coach right at the beginning because there's definitely this like preconceived notion in people's mind that if you're a coach you're supposed to have it all figured out already Mm mm-hmm and there shouldn't be any any vulnerability. There shouldn't be any, like, questioning. There shouldn't be any mixed feelings. You should just yeah. know it all. You should have it figured out, you know? <laughs> And that's not a fucking real thing. No. <laughs> it doesn't exist. That is, like, dangerous to yeah. operate under that. Yeah, if you're acting like you have it all figured out, yeah. then you've probably got more unresolved issues mm-hmm. than the people who are being open about, oh, I, maybe I don't have this totally figured out. Yeah. I think like the more coaching experience I get, the more I'm like, I don't know the answers. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'll, I'll ask some questions and we can figure it out. But yeah. Um, yeah, man, it's none of us have anything really fully figured out. I don't think. No way. <laughs> no way. The, on, the only thing I have totally figured out is that I know I don't have it all figured out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there are days where I'm like, oh, I got this shit figured out. Yeah. So maybe I don't even have that completely figured out. <laughs> um, yeah, it's... What spurred on the starting your own coaching business. You've been coaching kids for a lot of years. Yeah. Um, I think 
there's there were a lot of factors um one being that i you know i've been in the climbing industry now for eight ish years um Mm -hmm. I've been instructing and coaching for a lot of that time. I wanted to kind of see what else I could do with it. Um, After, I think it's been the last four years that I've been coaching pretty heavily on the youth circuit. It was starting to feel, um, I don't want to say repetitive because I feel like I can like get better at it every year for sure, but um, it's just not as close to like who I am as a climber in mm. a lot of ways. Like, yeah, sure. I didn't grow up climbing. I wasn't ever like a competitive youth athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, at least not in climbing. I did like, I did ski race and stuff. Um, but I at heart am just in love with rock climbing and I think it would be really cool to try to apply my skills to that as well. Um, and there's, it's just different coaching adults as well. I think like there are new challenges, which is awesome. I like new challenges. Yeah. They don't fucking listen. <laughs> yeah. I know. I think that's like, <laughs> like kids just inherently trust you because you're an adult, Yeah, yeah. which makes it a lot easier. I think in a lot of ways, <laughs> Like, they're probably just going to listen to you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And just different life circumstances, too, right? Like, they just go to school. They do their sports. They do their other things. But, like, yeah, I think there's there's different challenges to coaching adults. Especially, I think a big one, too, is, like, uh, openness and, like, mindset stuff, even. Mm Because... I think adults are a lot more stuck in their ways. Like that's not to say that youth athletes don't have their hangups because they a hundred percent do. Yeah. But they're, they have an easier time. I think like working on them and changing them. Yeah. Their habits and things like Mm -hmm. that are a little more malleable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I really have to hammer at some adults, you know, (laughs) to get anything to change. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I try to hammer in a nice way <laughs> for all of you out there who've yeah. been hammered on. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I think seeking out new challenges is a big part of it. Another part was just, um, I, you know, I started working in the climbing industry a year or so after I started climbing. And mm-hmm. so I, and I was in college for like four years of that and, Then I started working full-time at the gym and I have never really paused to like really invest in my own climbing Mm -hmm. and see what I can do with it. And that feels important to me as well. So part of the motivation as well was like, how can I create something where I have a little bit more freedom to travel or just, you know, manage my own time? Yeah. more yeah. because with with coaching on the youth circuit like the season is insanely long like you start it's kind of all year yeah it's pretty much all year like you start training in september and then if you have kids going to sport nationals which we did um 
then you're not done until the middle of July. Right. And so at that point, you're like, cool, I can like take a few weeks off in August. And then it's like, well, there's like a lot of places I'd like to go that you can't climb out can't in, August. in August. Yeah, <laughs> totally. And I just started to feel like a little hamster wheelie. And like I was. I totally never just had a vision of first. a hamster on a motorcycle doing a wheelie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's totally what I would say. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, continue. <That's> awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I don't know. I think it just started to feel like time to change it up a little bit. Yeah. And and I have also, I've been in Bozeman my entire adult life and I love it there. I love the community there. I have like so many close friends there that... Mm -hmm. I just don't want to leave, but yeah. But at the same time, it's starting to feel like I don't have as much room to grow there. I guess. Sure. So. And you're moving from a headsetter position and coaching the youth team. You've you've gradually mm -hmm. moved into your own business. Now you're moving into a. You're no longer the headsetter. No, Move, and I was in the head coach position as well right? Um, for several years, the last three or four years. So scaling some of that back. So, and Yeah, this year I kind of stepped back. Um, and my friend Nick, who is one of the guys that I've been studying with forever, like mm -hmm. we've known each other for eight years, um, is in both the head setter and the head coach position now. So he's kind of taking things over. Um. And yeah, now I'm stepping back. I'll be working at a gym route setting, but just part-time just so that I have like some steady income and can build some new connections and stuff and yeah, scaling it back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, shout out contact to, do you know when they open? They're projecting like early January. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. New gym in St. George. Mm -hmm. Um, both owners, both friends of mine, and and I'm really excited that they're getting this thing going, especially yeah. in the climate that exists today. You know, it's I was a little scared for them when when the lockdowns all started, and it was like, oh, the future of yeah, the, climb, the booming climbing gym industry is now up in the air. Yeah, I'm really glad it's getting off the ground, and that they. I'm glad they have you down there too. And I'm glad for you that you're going to be in a town where there's lots of climbing. Yeah. You know, so much. Within two hours, you've got an endless number of yeah, like routes. I, and, I will never run out of things. And the more fun <laughs> side of climbing boulders. There's lots of those too. <laughs> yeah. so. um, but I'm glad you're going to get to spend more time on your own climbing just as much as I'm glad you're going to be really throwing your hat into this coaching ring. Yeah, I it's like it's so scary, but I'm excited to like take that step. I think it'll be cool. Yeah. What's the business name? It's called Holistic Climber. Why that name? Um I so this is something that I've like is definitely part of my coaching style, but um I think it's so important to take both a broad view and a detail-oriented view to, to climbing and climbing training. Um, and 
I have employed that with my youth athletes for a long time. And it just means like having those conversations about what's going on in your head, about the conversations you're having with yourself, about what you're eating, if you're sleeping well, what other parts of your life are like contributing mm-hmm. to how you interact with climbing. Um, and I think we're seeing more and more coaches taking that approach now, um, which is so awesome. But yeah. And I think, I think we have to coach from at least initially we have to coach from a place of experience, mm-hmm. like things that we've dealt with ourselves. Um, you know, I think your your experience can broaden over time, and you can come from all sorts of different angles. Mm-hmm. But so many climbers do deal with those things as the limiting factors. Yeah, that it just makes sense that coaching would go more that direction. Yeah, you know, when I does. when I started Power Company, it was training plans were hard to come by. Mm-hmm. Like it was hard to take all of the information that was out there and use it to create your own training plan, you know? So that's what I was figuring out how to do. And, and now training plans are easy to come by, Yeah, you know? So having a coach who pays a little more attention to those intangibles is more and more important. Yeah, it's like pulling all the puzzle pieces together. Yeah. I like that analogy just because I love puzzles. But (laughs) Sounds like there's an alternative logo in the future here. (laughs) Yeah, there may be. Some puzzle pieces. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited about it. Are there lessons from your route setting days, be it like teamwork of setting or you know controlling movement in a specific way or or watching movement being broken or you know coaching youth athletes Mm -hmm. you know what what lessons that you got from setting and coaching the youth team are you bringing into to your coaching business now um I want to know because I want to be able to use those things too so (laughs) explain in detail okay (laughs) i i have a few here so um one is definitely like developing someone's style while also Mm. um teaching them other ways of doing things without like suppressing their style so uh i think it was last year uh we hosted rope regionals and Jonathan Brandt came and was mm-hmm. um, running that comp and I didn't set for that comp because my shoulder was all messed up but he at the beginning said like to all of our setters like just don't feel like you have to do anything crazy like set your style because your style is unique even if you don't yeah. think that it is Yep. <clears throat> which I thought was it's like such a simple thing. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's like so true. Um, so I think something that you see happening in forerunning occasionally is that maybe you'll have someone put a sequence up on the wall and 
occasionally another setter will come in and be like, oh, what if you like did this instead? Like essentially kind of mm. like steamrolling whatever the other setter was trying to do. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important instead to say like, okay, how can we like make this work and develop this idea that you have? Um, and the parallel in coaching being like, not trying to change people's styles like we all have different climbing styles yeah even if like you're a naturally static climber and you are working to be more dynamic or whatever um i think it's really important as a coach to help people grow into their styles while also helping them diversify a little bit mm -hmm. um just helping them kind of grow into like who they are as athletes as well and not being like, oh, you're like doing it wrong. Let me change that for you. <laughs> yeah, I I agree completely. You know, this is something I've been I've been thinking a lot about lately, not just in climbing, but in all sorts of things. Like I'm a I'm a hip hop meg, mega hip hop fan. You mm -hmm. know, as as big a hip hop fan as you can be. I think and. <laughs> But specifically of like the 90s, I really love 90s hip hop. And back then, everybody was different. Mm -hmm. Like Wu-Tang didn't sound like Tribe, didn't sound like N.W.A. Mm -hmm. You know, there were there were so many different styles. And now it's all a little more homogenized. Like everybody sounds like everybody, mm -hmm. you know. And climbing has sort of gone a similar direction, I think for a lot of reasons. But it used to be that like, Chris Sharma didn't climb like Fred Nicole, didn't climb like Dave Graham. Yeah. You know, radically different styles. Mm -hmm. Now you look at climbers and for whatever reason, most everybody at the top levels moves in a similar way. Mm -hmm. You know, they're like the Kairakandis who have this really unique style. And that's who we gravitate toward watching. Yeah. You yeah. know, and... And even moves that are like, oh, that's not a Kyra move. I'm air quoting again. I air quote all the damn time on a podcast. <laughs> I need to. No one can see it. I need to put these on YouTube as videos or something because I'm air quoting all the damn time. But like, that's not a Kyra Condi move. Well, Kyra does the move anyway, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So I think being able to develop your own style is cool. We we put a lot it of emphasis really cool. and we spend a lot of time saying, oh, let's shore up your weaknesses. Mm -hmm. But let's also play to your strengths. Let's also make those your fucking superpowers. Yeah. You know, have the, Kyra Condi's got a fucking superpower, mm -hmm. period, you know? And she's also really fucking good at all the other things. Yeah. So that's the direction I think we should be trying to go like use your superpower yeah i want to like tow hook every goddamn style. time i can you know <laughs> yeah because i know i'm good at it <laughs> and if i can avoid the fucking heel hooks i'm gonna avoid them like the plague <laughs> but i'm also learning to do them you know yeah. so i like that i think that's a i think that's something that gets missed i missed it for years yeah I'm like let's let's try to be all the climbers at once instead of Oh, you climb a little like Chris Sharma. Let's let's see where that goes. Let's mm -hmm. let's lean into that. You know. Yeah, we've in the past we've done uh, drills with the team kids where they have to we like pair them up purposefully with climbers that are very different from one mm -hmm. another, and yep. then 
they do like this copycat drill essentially where yeah the first person mm-hmm. climbs it and then the other person has to climb it exactly the same way mm-hmm. just to kind of get them thinking outside of the box a little bit um and I remember years ago having conversations with the kids of like, oh, well, I just don't climb that way. Like, that's not my style. And it's like, I'm I'm not trying to change your style. I just, it's good to like have all of the tools and then like, yeah, keep using your tools. Like we have still to this day, I have lots of conversations of like, okay, let's like learn to put your pinky on the hold. And no, don't teach them <laughs> I know, that. I know, I need like that. Because <laughs> the, the little kids are always just like sloth gripping everything. Yep. And I'm yep. like, that is fine. And we'll say like on competition day, you can do whatever you need to do yep. to get to the top of the boulder. But at practice, let's like get out of the comfort zone a little bit. Mm-hmm. And these things end up coming into your style a little bit. And they totally do. They yeah. enhance it, I think. Mm-hmm. Like I used to be such a static climber and i think it it this is like gonna get off on a tangent a little bit but i i saw you jump i saw you I, dangle yesterday i worked on it you did, you did some dangle <laughs> moves jumped and dangled <laughs> um, <laughs> i when i first started climbing i think and this is backtracking too to like i didn't really I think I struggled mentally with a lot of things that I didn't realize I was struggling with, but I, my personality was like much more control based. Like I, I still have perfectionist tendencies, but I've like worked to kind of quell them a little bit. Um, and so my climbing kind of reflected that in the sense that I was like, I always wanted all the movements to be in control and perfect. And like, I didn't know how to fight to get up the wall and mm-hmm. um, stuff like that. And as I started to kind of explore a little bit more my mental landscape and kind of work into this like oh maybe like it's okay to let go of a little bit of control maybe it's okay for things not to be perfect my climbing kind of followed that and I learned to become more dynamic and like part of it too was just like well I want to like keep progressing and you can't static everything (laughs) yeah it's not efficient to static everything yeah and Um, I think you know I think that's an important note to make that like just because this used to be your style doesn't mean it always yeah. has to be your yeah, style. Yeah, it can evolve. You know? Yeah. My style used to be the same as yours. Mm-hmm. And and maybe that comes from, like, at a young age, leaving home, you know, being on my own at 16 and having to control everything. Mm-hmm. You know, everything had to be in control or I was going to spiral completely out of control. Yeah. And my climbing style reflected that for years. You know, Mm -hmm. I refused to do things out of control. I would go way out of my way to find a way to keep my feet on for that move, Mm -hmm. you know? And now I'm just like, oh yeah, let the feet go wherever the fuck they want to go. Yeah. You know, if they're going (laughs) to swing around, they're going to swing around. Mm -hmm. And I love it. I've, I've really grown to love the like powerful, jumpy, you know, less controlled style i still have me too there's still a lot of control in it you know Mm -hmm. maybe too much i have a little i have a hard time releasing it entirely um 
but I'm learning. And my style looks completely different now than it did 15 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because it, I think it's easy to simplify it into like static and dynamic. Um, but even as my style has evolved, it's in a lot of ways, it's still the same style of like, I'm a very technically adept climber. I'm not very physically strong. Mm -hmm. I, I still like default to complexer movements, Mm -hmm. more, more complex, complex, complexer, not a word. (laughs) It is now. (laughs) I'm like way better. Is it with an ER or an OR? (laughs) Does complexer have an ER or an OR? I feel like it's an OR. That's what I thought too. Yeah. Yeah. That's the word the I word. saw in my head when you said I see I don't I see words. I see how words are spelled when they're said. I don't know why. Yeah. And that screwed me a lot of times. <laughs> like like the word facade. Yeah. Multiple times I've said it facade because I see <laughs> I see it spelled in my head and then I say it that way. Facade. Anyway, OR. I think you're right. Complexer. <laughs> Complexer. New word for you. Yeah. Um and yeah, in that way, like my style hasn't changed because I, I have still, I excel much more on technical terrain, whether that yeah. means being static or dynamic. And yeah, so yeah, it's been like an enhancement of style mm-hmm. instead of like changing it. And I think it was hard for me to let go of that at first of like, because yep. cause of those control-based perfectionism tendencies mm-hmm. of like, oh, I can't like change my style yeah but and i think it's empowering for your clients to lean into their styles mm-hmm. you know people need those wins i definitely yeah. i definitely just recently had a a situation with a client i say situation like it's some big negative <laughs> thing but it's not at all we just had a conversation about she wasn't experiencing the wins she needed to mm-hmm. and she was totally right i had I had led her down this road of we'd spent a lot of time working on the things that she was bad at. Mm -hmm. And she'd improved dramatically at those things, but we weren't, we weren't giving her the wins she needed. Yeah. Um, So we've shifted gears because of that conversation. You know, I think it's important to have those. Yeah, totally. Yeah. The wins, they help build confidence. And yep. I think like everything in life is a is a balance and we need those wins to keep motivated yep. and stay totally. psyched and be confident just as much as we need to like have the failures and the challenges to grow from and yeah. learn from. So. Totally. What other lessons? This is this is good. This is practically a, a board meeting. So let's, <laughs> yeah. just, let's just keep I know, doing where's it. Nate? <laughs> Get him in here. <laughs> Um, I can't even do the Nate deep voice, so I'm not. <laughs> I was gonna try it for a second, and or then I'm like, sarcastic nah, humor. let's not try that. I can't do it. I appreciate it though. Oh, um, me too. <laughs> okay, the next one I had was like being able to walk away and taking pride in that. Mm. So, I like still to this day will have days where I'm setting, and I'm just like, God, this is just not working. And yeah. Yeah. You can either kind of bang your head against the wall on it and spend like an hour and a half setting one boulder problem, or you can just be like, you know what, this isn't working. And then you end up having to tear it down anyway. And start over. Yeah. Yeah. And being able to like just 
say it's not working and take it down and start over without it being some huge ego hit, I think is really important. Um, and the coaching parallel is like being able to say, I don't know, yeah. um, which we kind of touched on earlier, but <clears throat> you know, being able to say like, uh, I'm not sure. Like, let me think about this a little bit more and we can revisit this conversation. I think that's really important um, because, like we were saying earlier, like, no one has all the answers. Yeah. Um, but also, if you kind of, like, don't have all the answers and then you just keep going down the conversation anyway, there's, I think, a lot of potential to say something that's potentially harmful. Yeah. Um. And, like, I'm sure I've said things, like, especially in my early days of coaching that were problematic. Mm -hmm. um, I think we all have. Yeah, I'm sure. And I think being able to take a step back and say, you know, I, I don't feel, like, prepared to have this conversation right now is really important. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. And like I said before, that's a tough thing to be able to do. Mm -hmm. You know, as a coach, you're looked at to have the answers. And and sometimes the answer is, I don't know. Yeah. You know, let's, let's explore it together. Let's struggle through it together. Exactly. I'm with you. I've got your back. But I don't know the answer. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, I think that's a, a very underutilized aspect of coaching yeah because we're supposed to know it happens like weekly probably that one of the kids will come up to me and ask me a question and i'm like hmm well let me ask you this and i'll like pose a question back to them and they'll be like huh and then they'll like go think about it i'll think about it and we'll like revisit the conversation later it ends up being like a much more valuable experience i think than just handing over some answer yeah. that is maybe not even right. <laughs> yeah. You know, just recently I had a, a moment uh, with my one of my clients where it was Monday morning or Sunday night and I was writing his plan for the next week and and I had had a rough week and three quarters of the way through it was very you know very directly linked to your i've been setting for an hour and a half and it's just not working i'm gonna have to tear this thing down mm -hmm. finally i just messaged him and was like look i've got the bones of your plan up but i'm probably going to change it entirely in a couple days because <laughs> right now i'm just not in the right headspace to write this and yeah. you, you deserve something better so mm -hmm. go ahead and look at it but it's probably going to be different. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And and it's kind of empowering to be able to say that. Like mm -hmm. like yeah, I I feel like I do a great job, but today I'm not. Today I'm fucking it up. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm going to wait until I'm doing a better job again to to write your plan. Even if it's a few days late, it's going to be better than if I just hand you this thing. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I think it's so important to be able to do that and say that and be like you know what and and taking like i don't i don't know i don't trust people that like are just 100 percent confident in everything that they're saying all the time yeah yeah if there's <laughs> a if there's like 
immediate answers with what appears to be total confidence all mm-hmm. the time. I'm like, this person's got a template or a book or something. Or a tactic. Yeah, that like... they're just they're just making this shit sound true. Yeah. <laughs> and it may not be. Yeah. Nothing is this fucking cut and dry. No, never. It's never that simple. And climbing's fucking complicated. Oh, yeah. You know, it's complicated physically. The movement is the most Mm -hmm. complicated sport on the fucking planet, you know, climbing and skateboarding maybe. Mm -hmm. And somebody's going to push back on that. I'm going to get emails like, well, you forgot about this. Gymnastics. You know, I was a gymnastics coach. That shit is simple. (laughs) All right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's simple in comparison i'm gonna stop using that comparison <laughs> um, but it's complicated physically it's complicated mentally emotionally tactically mm-hmm. it's so complex complexer it's so complexer <laughs> so complexer <laughs> that that there's no way we have all the answers no Never. And the answers are different for everyone as well. Which I think leads into the next one that I had. All right, let's do it. (laughs) Board meeting. More or less, board meeting. Um, (laughs) That there's never one answer, and sometimes the simplest answer is the best one. Mm -hmm. Um, So the route setting piece for this is like making, in a commercial setting, you want, most of the routes to be accessible to most of the climbers. Um, so creating opportunities for someone who is six feet tall to climb the route and someone who is less than five feet tall. Mm-hmm. Whether that means like adding a bump hold, adding foot options, putting a foot on that a kid could just grab and match and like do yeah. some different sequence. Um Instead of making it complexer. Yeah. Instead of like trying to force things. <laughs> yeah. Um, like I think we'd talk a lot about forcing movement in route setting, but I like to use the word encourage more. Like mm. I'm gonna encourage this movement. And mm-hmm. if there's another way around it, that's fine. As long as it's not, you know, several grades easier than what you're trying to set. That's like I right. I'm usually not upset if there's like a second sequence on the route. Yeah. And Especially I think it's a cool it moment when accessible. there is. Yeah, it is cool. Like if I spend if I spend an hour crafting a problem in the machine shop, like connecting holds together, trying to force, you know, to use that word, air quotes again, mm-hmm. um, a specific move, and then someone comes in and just totally bypasses it. Mm-hmm. For me, I'm like, oh, I didn't see that. Why didn't I see that? Yeah. You know, so. I think it's just cool. It is really cool. And it's been really awesome over the years to watch some of our like tiny younger kids climb on boulders in the gym and like they find ways to get up. Yeah. Like the V7s that have big moves on them and they're just they're just creative and they're doing like moves that are several V grades harder for sure. Yeah. But it's so cool to like have that opportunity and it's it's really rare that they come into a situation on a boulder where there's just literally like no way they can do it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's maybe not that rare, but it's like most of the time they find a way. Yeah, um, totally. 
And I think, you know, in this, in this coaching and training world, it's, it's so easy to make a complex training program Mm -hmm. that looks effective, whatever the fuck that means, Mm -hmm. you know, that it has all these moving parts and you need all this new equipment and you should get some force plates and you should, you know, you have to have all these things and it's super complicated, but that doesn't mean it works. Yeah. It just looks complicated. And it's harder to adhere to, honestly. So much harder. Like, that is overwhelming to have a plan handed to you that has all of these moving parts and all of these different exercises. And, yeah, like, when in reality, a lot mm. of the time you can pick, like, three things to do. And it's mm-hmm. going to be easier to stick to, which is so important since, like, if you can't be consistent with it, it doesn't matter what the plan says. Yeah, you know, I I go back to, this is maybe a stretch of an analogy, (laughs) but um, I listened to this interview with George Lucas once about Star Wars, Mm -hmm. and he was being questioned on the idea that in the first Star Wars movie that we saw, everything was really simple. All the clothing was simple. The buildings were simple. Mm -hmm. Everything was super simple. But then when the actual first three films came out, you know, the prequels to what we saw in the 70s, when those came out, everything was really ornate and complicated. And people were like, well, that doesn't make sense. You know, things went from ornate to simple. Mm -hmm. And he's like, that's what evolution looks like. Like, look back in time things were really ornate. Buildings were really ornate. Yeah. Clothing was really ornate. Now we've simplified it. Mm-hmm. We've we've made it more efficient and more effective. Yeah. You know, and that's that's what Star Wars reflects and and that's how that's how training plans look a lot of the time for me. If I have a new client who mm-hmm. who is expecting something complex, I'll make it look complex. <laughs> and then down the road once they trust me a little more, I can be like this four weeks, we're just focusing on this one thing. Mm-hmm. Like, let's just do this for a while. Yeah. You know? And that's how my training looks, too. Mine yeah. Mine right now is so ridiculously simple that I hesitate to put it on the internet because people are going <laughs> to be like, that's not enough. <laughs> You're not you know? doing it right. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I think, yeah, it's, it doesn't need to be complicated. It, like, shouldn't Complexer. be. Lots of the time, yeah, complexer. You're just gonna have to use that word forever now, because I'm going to. All right, cool. <laughs> it sounds like a type of climbing. Like yeah. we've got technical climbing, compression climbing, and then complexer climbing. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a it's technical compression. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right i'm derailing us you got you got more board meeting items over i got there? i got more i got a few more talk to me okay um building things to be easily tweaked and having a backup plan mm. so this maybe can apply more in like the youth team coaching scenario and mm-hmm. like the sense that sometimes we'll plan workouts and all hell will break loose and we're like never mind this isn't working like we're going to change it yeah but in the sense of a training plan that could go the same way as like oh we wrote this plan under these circumstances and then maybe like this life event happens and you're like oh i don't have time to invest 
as much as I thought. Like, mm-hmm. how can we change it to make it work a little bit better? Or, oh, I just like injured my finger. Like, what tweaks can we make? Um, so always having kind of a backup plan. Which is a regular occurrence. Oh, yeah. All the time. I would say 90% of the plans we write, we have to change yeah. to some degree for whatever reason. Yeah. And in the in the sense of youth coaching and working with a team, like that happens even on the scale of like, okay, we designed this workout and now how can we quickly tweak it to best suit each individual athlete as well mm-hmm. so that it's not scaled to just one type of athlete. Right. Um, the setting parallel, I guess, here would be, um, you know, setting something in a way that is tweakable and having a backup plan in the sense of like, okay, this is the sequence I'm trying to set, but if it doesn't work, then I can make this change and this change and then it should be okay. Yeah. Um, and it's so good to think about that stuff ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, otherwise you think on your feet. scrap it all and start over. Yeah. And that takes a like, oh, no, crazy amount of time and effort. Like, oh, no, entire sequence, and then you move the handholds, and then then you can use those as feet, and then it changes the sequence above it. And yep. then you're just like, oh, yep. God, it gets out of control really fast. Yeah, and sometimes that's a good thing. Like, sometimes yeah. creating a whole new animal is great. Yeah, sometimes it is. It's not But it's not efficient. the most efficient way to yeah. work. <laughs> right. Sometimes it's necessary, but it's usually not what you're going for yeah that's like the the like thing that they teach you in the level one clinic is like first you turn the hold if it's not working Mm -hmm. then you move the hold then you change the hold (laughs) yeah and then like changing the sequence isn't even on that little list (laughs) so right that's like down the line pretty far um right how do you get to the vision you had originally yeah you know exactly there's always room to go for another vision yeah. But how can we get to this one that you you wanted? Yeah. And that's how you learn to be a better route setter. And like coaching, it's the same way. Like, yeah. okay, how can how can we adapt this situation to best fit this athlete mm-hmm. in a way that's gonna like provide them success? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Or the opportunity for success at least. Yeah. I had one more. Do it. I'm I'm over here taking notes, so okay. <laughs> I'm just waiting for you. You're the this leader of this now. This You're the host. Last one. All right, I'm the host now. Yeah. <laughs> um, that it's not about you and not taking things personally. Mm. So, I think this one is something that people struggle with a lot in mm-hmm. round setting, especially. Um, you know, it, it is such a creative process and it can be hard to let go and be like, okay, this is like a product for the gym. Um, It's often hard for people to kind of part with their vision sometimes when something's not working. Mm -hmm. Um, And like I was saying earlier, like I think it's important to encourage things and not force things. Um, And that goes for whole ideas and not, uh, even just like specific movements if like something's not working that you set uh and remembering that like you're setting for other people so yeah you're setting for the gym members you're setting for the team kids whether that's the kid that is new and 
climbing V1 or the kid that like smashes V8 and is four feet tall, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and being able to really put yourself like in the shoes of each of those climbers as well. Um, and then with the coaching parallel being like keeping the athletes interests at heart and at the forefront of it and not, um, making it about what you think the solution needs to be. Yeah. And just being able to hold space for athletes' emotions without, like, taking them on or taking them personally, yeah, I think is a really big one. And that's something that I've thought about a lot um, in the situation of competition coaching because, you know, you're in ISO with the kids and, like, everyone handles the situation differently and, like, some kids are psyched and some are, like, freaking out and if you start to take that on, that can be really detrimental, I think, both to you and to like the support that you can provide. And that's something that I've struggled with a lot because I'm like an overly empathetic person. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I think just being able to like hold space and not make it about you is so important. Yeah. And I think, I think the word, I mean, I'm a fan of words in general and the words hold space, you know, that phrase says a lot. And I think we take it the wrong way. I certainly have 100% in several instances. Mm -hmm. Um, And I recently was called out in a really, really loving way by a friend um, whom I was trying to hold space for. Mm Mm-hmm. But what I was doing was trying to fix or trying to direct the conversation in some way, you know. Yeah. And that's not holding space. You know, holding space is letting that person work through it in their time, Mm -hmm. you know. Even if it's not on the time schedule that you think they should be on, they're learning more by working through it because you're holding space. You're not trying to fix it necessarily, you know, and that's what, I think that's what a lot of coaches mess up is, and me included, that we try to fix things Mm -hmm. um, instead of letting the, the athlete or the person work through it on their own in their own time. Yeah. It feels like, feels like a failure if we can't fix it sometimes, you know, and it feels like, oh, I'm more, I'm a more effective, more successful coach if I provide a solution. Yeah, that's so true. And it's, and then it, it does like when we come into those feelings that is us making it about us and Mm -hmm. like about our self-worth as a coach, if we, if we can't fix this for this person, then what does that say about us? And I don't think that's like the intentions that a lot of us go into it with. Yeah. Um, but it happens nonetheless. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, we were we were talking yesterday at the Boulders, and you were talking about how different it is coaching remotely as opposed to in person with mm-hmm. the kids. Um, and I think that's one piece of advice I would offer to you to to anyone coaching remotely is that because it's remote, because you're not there watching the process, there is a knee-jerk reaction to try to provide a solution. Yeah. Um, And some clients want the solution, but the best thing most of the time is to not 
try to give a solution. Yeah. You know, and to let them work through it. And I think, honestly, I think remote coaching is set up really well for that kind of autonomy, mm-hmm. you know, to let people struggle. I, the, the biggest mistake I see with people coaching in person is taking away the struggle. Yeah, you know, totally. Like, oh, no, put your foot there. You know, it's going to be way better if you mm-hmm. do that. And that removes that struggle that, that totally cuts off a learning opportunity for mm-hmm. that person. And, and remote coaching, we, it's a little harder to cut off those moments. It's, yeah, that's you so know, true. They end up with more of those moments. So, so I think it's a positive, really. It's different. But, yeah. I, but I think it's a good thing, especially for adults who, who frankly need that autonomy. Mm-hmm. You know, kids take it upon themselves to have that autonomy <laughs> a lot of the time. Adults often don't. Um, you know, they're looking for solutions. Mm-hmm. We've been conditioned to want that. Yeah. So, Or like their lives are just so busy that they don't want yeah. to sit down and, and think about it. Yeah. Um. And that's, that's hard too. Cause it's like, well, I, my coaching style is very much like I communicate mostly in questions. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I just it's thought good. of this really funny story. So I, uh, it's maybe not going to come off that funny since <laughs> you can't like see the video. Just, just put air quotes and then. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> then, it, then it'll come off funny to me. That's all that matters. Uh, I missed practice one day. <laughs> I think this was before all the COVID shutdowns and stuff. It was last last year sometime. And I, the younger team that I coach, um, I so all winter I usually have like a cup of tea in my hand. It's cold in the gym, mm-hmm. and like I said, I communicate in questions a lot of the time. And one one of my co coaches took a video of one of the like 11 year old kids. She like had a cup of tea in her hand and was like pretending to be me. (laughs) So she was like, she's like, how does that make you feel? (laughs) And I was like dying laughing watching this video. And I was like, that's hilarious. It was really validating. I was like, I'm glad that's how they see me. I'm just standing there with a cup of tea, like asking them how they feel about things. (laughs) That's great. I, I it love so it. So funny. No, that's that's perfect, and I, and I think that's how it should be. You know, you're, yeah. you've developed your style, and and it works. And I'm excited for more adults to to find it and to thanks to latch yeah. on to it. How can people work with you? So I have a website called holisticclimber.com. Pretty mm-hmm. easy to find. It's also linked. You sure you don't want to make Instagram. it complex or climber? <laughs> complex or climber. <laughs> yeah, maybe it'll change. You know, Are you sure. Next year could be a different name, <laughs> different logo with some puzzle pieces. <laughs> Forming a whole plan here. Yeah. <laughs> um. So all the info's on there, where you can people can just reach out to me on Instagram too. Okay, and I'll have yeah. links to find you in the show notes in your pocket supercomputers. So that people can reach out. Yeah, excited. Yeah, thanks for sitting down. I know when I, I know I kind of sprung this on you, and I I was like, I've been like sweating this whole time, freaking out. (laughs) That's because you're wearing the softest, warmest 
sweatshirt yep. on the planet. Got my power company sweatshirt on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, no, yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity. I'd, it, it's cool. I've been like listening to this podcast for years. And Are you going to listen to yourself on it? Oh, God. I probably will, but Good. I'll probably hate every second of it. <laughs> <laughs> I I so like I was I was just freaking out like when you sent me the text and was like maybe we can sit down and have a conversation I was like oh god <laughs> yeah it's good. I I think I I don't I'm not used to like being asked for my professional opinion I guess in some ways which is kind of weird well get used to it um <laughs> and I'm also like not used to just talking I feel like I can present myself better in writing or i'm just more i've just had more practice at it probably yeah. that's what it is so well so I'm this glad is you intimidating did. and uncomfortable and awesome experience good that's what we do here I appreciate we it. do uncomfortable <laughs> here that's that's my favorite place to be so i appreciate you taking time out of your climbing of sitting down having this it chat it's an honor so. i'm psyched yeah. <laughs> and you're gonna listen back and you're gonna be like fuck i'm so wise <laughs> or I'm going to be like, God, I can't believe I said that in that way. I should have said this instead. Complexer. That'll probably be like the perfectionist <laughs> side of me coming out. Like, oh, I messed that up. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. First try. First try. I'll take it. This is my flash attempt. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Taylor. Thank you. One of the things that I really appreciate about Taylor and her approach is the authenticity of her experience that she brings to her coaching. She doesn't pretend to know everything. I think that's something we really have to look for in coaches. Um, We can't know everything. We haven't had all the experiences. Being able to say, I don't know, or I'm just learning, or this is my first time, I'm figuring it out, is such an important part of being a good coach. Taylor's got that in spades. I saw it in Bozeman. I see it now with Holistic Climber. If Taylor's approach resonates with you, you can find her at holistic underscore climber on Instagram. You can find her at holisticclimber.com on the interwebs. Go check her out. As for us, I'm not going to overwhelm you with what we've got going on here. Instead, spend some time thinking about how this country got where it's at, what role you've played in it, and how we can make changes to make this a better, more equal place. So don't look for us, get off your Instagram, get off your Twitter, and scream like eagles. Yeah.